We so, could have like asked anybody and they would have told us not to do that. This is why, you know, this is, this yeah. Is, yeah. Um, yeah, Ryan's, Ryan's son <laughs> called me a caveman earlier this week. That was fun. You know, he could have called you, um, I don't know, Gimli. <laughs> Who do you look like? Yeah, no, 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 Gimli's a big, that's, that's like my, that's my guy. I'd Gimli's say, I'd say Gimli. Yeah. That's, that's John Reese Davies, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? I want to say Myers. Myers yeah. or Davies? Myers is the young Irish guy. You're right. Davies. Davies, John who was uh, Salah in Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yes. I guess the best line in the whole movie. What does he say? I forget. Or it's in two counts. Okay, okay, okay. Um, um, Evan, I want to I want to preface this by saying I have not watched Lord of the Rings in a long time. Uh, it's been, well, a long time. I mean, like, probably four or five years. So, um, You had so much time to watch this movie. Fuck you. I, you had how much time to watch, you know, the last couple of James Bond movies? Ah. I'm saying, I, I'm great. I, I, you know, we're on, even, we're on an even playing we're level here. We're, yeah. we're even. We're good. All right. It's okay. It's okay. We're good. So wait, have you never seen the Hobbit movies? Fuck no. Wow. They all have shit tomato they scores. Good, I'm not going to, I'm not spending time watching them. Aren't there extended versions of those two? Yeah. Yeah, I've fuck not, that. I don't think I've seen the extended versions. Oh my version. God. You know, um, but I'll, I'll say I appreciate Peter Jackson. Evan, have you seen the extended? Uh, I I imagine there's a special place in hell for someone who intentionally watches the extended versions. What ty- what type of person willingly watches a shit movie? That's an extended version of an People even like really it makes like it even the Tolkien verse. I guess, but like, just fucking read the book. I don't know. Like, that's the most pure form of it. Yes. Uh, yeah, well, I guess the Hobbit. Yeah. That's straight from the mind of of. You know, yeah. Tolkien. There is an animated version of The Hobbit, actually, yes. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And The Lord of the Rings yeah. from the 70s. From the yes. late 70s. Yeah, I never watched that. I remember seeing it after Fellowship of the Ring came out. Like, I just or, saw it on, like, DVD somewhere at Walmart or some shit. And it's like, look at these fuckers trying to capitalize. And then I realized, oh, that came out way before. So. Conversely, you could just watch Leonard Nimoy's Bilbo Baggins and get everything that you need. <laughs> okay, I just learned something. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy... Sang uh, a song about Bilbo Baggins. Leonard Nimoy's great. Oh no, he did. Okay, I thought you were talking about like a movie or he made or a TV show or something. No, he's okay. So yeah, he has an album that he did. I've listened to it. It's pretty wacky. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, uh, Evan. Uh, totally unrelated. Did you see the new Spider-Man yet? Uh, no. Okay, no, I, I feel not. a little bit better right now. I. Uh, you guys asked me what I did last night. What'd you do last night? I binged Wandavision. Hey, what'd you think? So it was, I thought it was actually really good. I thought the final episode was was awful. Yeah. I thought the, I thought it, the it, wrap up was really bad. It brought in Photon and a different version of Vision and the actual Scarlet Witch. Yeah, and that's great. But like, so she was the villain. Yeah, and essentially. She tortured a lot of people. She's and pretty she's bad. Forced to do almost no reconciling with. That oh, but at she's going to be in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse well, of Madness. I have a feeling something's going to come down with that. But, but Alex. We feel bad for her. I mean, sure. I, feel I don't bad feel bad for her, for her at all. For, for Scarlet Witch? No, no, I feel terrible for her. I mean, I did okay, until so now. I'm trying to remember who. I think it was Darcy. It was Kat Dennings who was like, oh, yeah, she had to kill you and then watch you get unkilled yeah. and killed again. I was like, yeah, that's pretty fucked up, actually. Like, if I, it if is. I had to deal with that, like, that's that's pretty fucked up. However, she took an entire town hostage. Yes. So no, I don't feel as but, bad no, for her after she, that. But she never has to reconcile with the fact that she took. Well, not yet. Town not hostage. yet. We'll see. It's a launching point. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Now you need to watch uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, or Falcon and the Winter Soldier, yeah. and then Loki, and then Hawkeye, which is fantastic. I'm, I have no time for Jeremy Renner. Why? What's your problem with Jeremy Renner? I will watch Hawkeye when you play Jedi Fallen Order. 
I'll happily play Jedi Fallen Order. I just need to buy it. It was on sale and I didn't buy it. I bought yeah, the Spider Man game instead. Right now. It was. I'll, I got the Spider Man game. I'm in the middle of that right now. Okay. I'm really, hey, Evan, I'm really behind on video games. I don't know shit about things. I, I'm only going to watch Hawkeye if I can view it directly from the Jeremy Renner app. <laughs> Wait, what? All right. Jeremy okay. Renner has an app? Had. Past tense. <laughs> I also heard he made millions before he was um, a famous actor. He's, he's been an actor for a long time, but I also heard he made millions flipping uh, mansions and shit. He's also a country music star. Jeremy Renner? No. Oh, that'd be cool. No, he's like borderline rap rock. It's bad. It's really bad. He released an album. It's very bad. You know, actors just shouldn't do these things. Yeah. Um, who was it? Uh, Russell Crowe, 30-odd foot of grunts. Mm. And then um, Keanu Reeves has had some things, and uh, Johnny Depp hangs out with, like, you know, 80s rock stars and, like, Alice Cooper called the Hollywood Vampires. They're a bunch of D-bags who, who, who really wish Guns N' Roses was still a thing. Mm. Yeah. I don't like Guns N' Roses. All right, on either. that note. In uh, in three, two, one, cue the music. And welcome to another edition of the Movie Spiel. I'm Alex. I'm Ryan. And we have a very special episode in store for you. It's always a special episode because we never record this show. No, we're inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, I We have a guest on who I've known for 25 years. He's, and I've known for 25 minutes. Exactly. He's joining us digitally, and I'm very excited as we set up this episode. We're going to be talking about Lord of the Rings, which uh, last week, as of our time recording this, we're about a week away from Christmas, celebrated its 20th anniversary of the release of Fellowship of the Ring. Evan Baranowski, thanks for joining us. Uh, Alex, it's great to be here, and that's all I've got to say. <laughs> that's concise. That's what we... we it's we, great to be here? Brittany told me we need to learn from Evan and his ability to be brief and concise. Uh, Two <laughs> things you and I are not ever. Yeah, let's get two of the most long-winded people ever to do a podcast what about we, movies. What if we started a podcast but didn't actually talk about the subject for like 30 minutes? Excuse me, didn't we talk about a secular sort of discussion about Lord of the Rings for like approximately three hours just a few weeks ago. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. And she thought that was concise. <laughs> I think she was more referring to your, your podcasting. Uh, oh, okay. Or maybe you're more concise than I am. Maybe, maybe that's what her, her, her take is. But um, that said, so uh, 20 years since Lord of the Rings has been released fellowship of the ring. And of course, uh, as we know if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are a big enough fan of film to know that uh, the release date is not really the big the big story to tell when it comes to Fellowship of the Ring. The amount of work that it took to get that trilogy off the ground and in development was significant. But I think uh, during the mid to late 90s, because I'm not sure how long it was actually in development for. I know they were trying to make it for a long time, but perhaps no time more pivotal than in the mid to late 90s when originally Harvey Weinstein had the rights to Lord of the Rings and wanted Peter Jackson to do the whole thing in one movie. That would have been terrible. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of what we're here to talk a little bit about today is the fact that had it only been one movie, 
I mean, just a completely different cinematic landscape. And uh, also, listen, uh, we don't talk much about Harvey Weinstein on this podcast. And um, you don't need to. No, we don't. But I would say that uh, what a lack of what a distinct lack of vision from Mr. Weinstein. He had a vision. Just it wasn't that at the time. I'm told that that was not a big thing in the in the mid to late 90s. You simply did not. Like you were not going to greenlight a sequel without seeing how it did. Like, the, like they didn't do it with Star Wars in the seventies. Like until it blew up and made millions and millions of dollars. That's when we found out there was going to be an Empire and a Return, and and Lucas had a whole off-brand Splinter of the Mind Eye. I think it was that he was ready to ready to go ahead with if he didn't get the right funding for Empire. Maybe. Maybe they could have just, you know, done half the story and seen how an audience reacted to it and then been like, all right, I guess we'll green light part two. I've been having dreams about a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. So, yeah, why don't we do this? So, Evan, uh, as I told you before we started ostensibly recording i've known you for 25 years I, I know you pretty well why don't you introduce yourself to the movie spiel audience in a, a what what do you do now uh well right now i am a english teacher uh up in new jersey where we where we spent most of our days uh and i guess you could say my credentials for being on this podcast uh, is that i teach a film study course uh, so I've been talking a whole lot about movies, uh, but, you know, another reason that I really deserve to be on this uh, podcast is that I have listened to a majority of these episodes, uh, and there have been multiple points in which I've been screaming into the void after hearing some takes made on this podcast, so... It's a high time that I that I join you to talk about something that we're all well versed in, right? Lord of the Rings. Uh, two, two and a half. Two thirds of us are well versed in it. Well, yeah. to to also tout my street cred, um, you know, a, as a as a youth, uh, my father was maybe what you might consider and and uh, dad. I'm, I'm I apologize if you hear this, but he was kind of like the the prototypical uh, nerd. Uh, <laughs> When when these films were coming out, my brother and I would be hanging out with my dad before bedtime, and he'd be like, oh, hey, wait, let me go pull out the uh, family trees that I drew out in the Elvish language and explain this lineage <laughs> to you. So I know a, a thing or two about Lord of the Rings, I would say. Yeah, I, a little bit of a little bit of shot of a shot there at Rich, but but. I mean, in fairness, I also remember distinctly one of the other appropriate reasons for you to be on this podcast. So I saw Return of the King in theaters with you, Chris, and your father. Um, would have been December of 2003. And I actually hadn't seen Fellowship in Two Towers at that point. That was my introduction to Lord of the Rings, was you guys taking me to see that, um, which was awesome. <laughs> and I distinctly remember your dad commenting on how interesting and how cool it was to visualize and see the concept of like Legolas coming essentially coming to life and murdering a mama kill a big oliphant big he, elephant thing certainly although I I also I can't I can't imagine walking into Return of the King and just being like oh okay this is the third part of a trilogy I have no idea in 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 my 14 year old head 
I think what I told myself was it's basically going to be Return of the Jedi. And like it sort of is. It had because like Return of the Jedi probably borrows so much from the from like the uh, narrative structure that Tolkien laid out for fantasy that like you can kind of dig it. Like there's a there's a cho- obviously in Return of the Jedi, the chosen one character is a bigger deal to, to bring it back to where we were. Uh, Return of the Jedi was my frame of reference in my mind going in to see that movie as a 14-year-old because I had not read the books. I wouldn't read them for another couple of years, and I did not, I'll admit, complete the trilogy. Moving into the actual production where we were, we were talking about the fact that Harvey Weinstein didn't want this to be three movies, didn't even want it to be two movies. Originally, Peter Jackson had conceived of it, similar to the original plans for the Hobbit trilogy, two films. And when they got over to... um, New Line Cinema. New Line Cinema. Thank you. Not Miramax. That was where Weinstein was. When they got over to New Line Cinema, they actually said, well, why not do three? And, like, they they took the offer in the room. Like, that was... When when they heard do three, oh, yeah, we're not... Can't turn that down. Like, that's that's unheard of. It's so bizarre to me, too, just because you have... I don't know. You have a, a sort of framework for this with Star Wars, right? I mean, trilogies, things come in threes. I, I, don't, I don't know. And just the structure of the books as well. I, why wouldn't you? And you know, you know what's really amazing right now? Like, looking back, the budget for the entire trilogy, the production budget, is $281 million. Yeah, and you'll spend that on one film now. Yeah, pretty much. And that's insane. What they got out of it, three theatrical three-hour movies. So that's a great segue to something that I want to, I definitely want to talk with Evan about because um, it did pop into my head while I was driving over here to our, our recording bunker. If you go back and look, and this is kind of when I brought up Legolas and the, the Moma Kill and how like kind of your dad said that was like a really thrilling sequence and like it really is. And that's 2003. That's a full 18 years ago. Uh, and CGI has come a long way since then. There are a lot of people who would argue it looks kind of dated now. Yeah. But I think that's kind of the big juxtaposition there is, for one thing, Fellowship yeah. does not overly rely on CGI. And there is a trilogy that started two years before mm-hmm. Fellowship was released that did overly rely on CGI. And I think there's there's a clear juxtaposition to be drawn right. between those two. In addition to um, to that, like if you break it down, each movie had about $93, $94 million budgets, which is insane. But also it gave Weta Digital a chance to really promote itself and become the main competition to um, Industrial Light and Magic. As far, and I think still today, they're the two biggest um, effects houses in the world in the film industry, right? I, I was looking back just in, in preparation for this. The amount of cgi uh shots in return of the king is three times the amount of cgi shots in the original fellowship uh which is is wild to me uh but it also uh it's it's a harbinger of the jackson uh (laughs) through line the jackson narrative dare i Mm -hmm. say uh which which i think Mm -hmm. is a shame um and also that that sequence in particular you know the the oliphant uh scene I remember thinking back, even back then, I distinctly being like, remember saying like, God, this is, this is a little goofy. It's a little goofy. Um, Do you think, did it take, it didn't take you out of the uh, moment? No, 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 I don't think so. And I'm, you know, you also, you need to think, right. The, the sort of clambering uh, sequence and, and all of that stuff is, 
you're right around the same time as like original spider-man which has some sequences that Mm -hmm. are similar to that so i I think Mm -hmm. i it it felt natural at least in, in the context of what cgi looked like at that time but you know to to go back to these these visualizations right and and just bringing this story to life in a way that is impactful there's no better example of this really i think the seek the balrog sequence in fellow shot uh, fellowship the those shots are uh in, incredibly impressive um i think they still hold up they're still mm-hmm. and it, it it's almost it is a visual punctuation to an extremely dramatic uh storytelling moment that it's just brought to the next level because of the the character concept and you know there there's a lot of artistic liberties there uh balrogs uh, are never depicted or described by tolkien as having wings in any way um and i think jackson uh was said to have spoken with a number of fans before settling on that design uh in, in particular but uh just what what an incredible uh, sort of experience to have as a as a theater goer and and did you ever get you i guess you never had the chance to see it on the big screen uh in that way i never did no no i i did not either i first time i saw it i was sick from school and rented the theatrical edition for the first and only time and uh what a treat that was and then i immediately bought the extended edition almost as soon as i could which i still have to this day it's like 15 years old all three of them are summer movies to me um i didn't watch them in the theaters at all because when the first one came out, I was 15 and I was just, I was never into like high fantasy. I think Game of Thrones sort of broke that through for me, but I did watch Lord of the Rings when they, you know, when they came out on DVD, I rented them in the summer cause that's when they came out on DVD. And so that's what they were to me. And, um, I watched each of them once and then I did not revisit them until a few years ago. You know, what do you think of the criticism? And I'll pose this question to both of you. Uh, what do you think of the criticism about taking such an influential piece of work that essentially invented what would later become tropes, and I'm right now alluding to Gandalf's eventual return in Two Towers, but how it holds up so many years later when that very idea has been borrowed over and over again. While admittedly Tolkien did not invent the trope of Gandalf returning, I would argue that he repopularized it. Mm -hmm. This... This film adaptation is so influential to so much of the storytelling that we see nowadays. Um, in and it, it's funny because it Jackson's interpretation of your monomyths and your even your your flow of action and storytelling um, has has left its impact in a lot of ways. And I, I almost. I don't know. I, you you can't really s- s- say that. I don't think that Tolkien was like deliberately trying to reintroduce a trope or or, or anything of that nature. Um, it and when you think about it within the the confines of the the narrative too. I mean, on a lot of the theatrical posters, you have Gandalf kind of front and center. So it's, it's a very telegraphed sort of thing that I think in the, in the modern landscape of filmmaking and storytelling, you, you play those cards a whole lot closer to the chest. I mean, you look at, uh, what, um, 
Pirates 2, which came out not long after this, uh, which holds its Barbosa reveal until like the very last minute, um, which, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think this, this goes back to a conversation that I have with a lot of my students, which is sometimes it's not about the what that happens in the movie, but more the how. And that reintroduction of that character not only gets its emotional, you know, recognition, you get the, the catharsis of seeing him again and, and the enjoyment of, of having that character uh, reintroduced, but it, it happens so organically that it doesn't really seem to take away from the through line of the narrative. Which we, I mean, we can talk about two towers and and its sort of narrative structure. It's one of my, it, it's not my favorite of the of the three. Which yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. Um, so, uh, you say the two towers is not your favorite of the three? It is. I not, think no. I don't want to get into this yet, but I, I will <laughs> agree with Evan. I am. I like uh-huh. listen. I, I, this I said this last week or like almost three weeks ago. Now that we recorded Spider Man. Just because it's our least favorite doesn't right. make it bad. We have to, again, relative to, like, if I'm comparing Two Towers to your average run-of-the-mill film or film franchise, it is a, it's great. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. <laughs> but yeah. there's only one masterpiece in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, in my opinion. There is only one Lord of the Rings. I would like to talk about the impact that it made in the movie industry, most notably right now all of the freaking awards and accolades that it made, mm-hmm. that it won. It won 17 Academy Awards out of a total 30 nominations. Probably could have won more than that, too. Well, the first one won four. It um, it won cinematography, makeup, music, and uh, visual effects. And let me rephrase what I, what I mean by that. As in, Fellowship clearly could have won, mm-hmm. and Two Towers arguably could have won as well. Do you remember what Fellowship lost Best Picture to? 2001, Two Towers lost to Chicago. No, 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 that was 2002. Yeah, I know, Two Towers lost to Chicago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fellowship. Fellowship lost to... Evan, do you know? Uh, I'm drawing a blank right now. Uh, a Beautiful Mind. Yeah, that's, right. that's uh... right. They wanted to give Opie an Oscar, and they did. <laughs> and that's fine, I guess, whatever. My, my point was, though, is that I think any of those three films could have wound up winning Best Picture, and, and you'd have no argument against that no they won um each of them won effects but then they were all up for best picture but the return of the king was the clean sweep that was the first time since um bernardo bertolucci's the last emperor that it actually the movie that won best picture won every award it was nominated for and it was the first movie since titanic and to win 11 academy awards it was only the third in oscar history to win 11 oscars so wait evan were you about to make an argument for master and commander far side of the world because i think that's where this was going oh that's, dude you don't even have I, to make an argument i'll agree I with this you this is going i fucking love master and commander i <laughs> i ride for that one i'll say this my favorite movie of 2003 was um uh lost in translation easily that movie's beautiful it's a clean sweep the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, Barry M. Osborne, Peter Jackson, and Fran Walls producers. How would you grade Jackson's movies post Lord of the Rings? So, oh, well, I think they've been fine, <laughs> if not good. I mean, I, he's never going to, probably never going to reach the zenith that mm-hmm. was the trilogy. I don't think he will. But, oh, yeah. But I'll say this um, They Shall Not Grow Old and Get Back are fantastic documentaries. 
fantastic. And then I did not see the Lovely Bones. I heard it wasn't bad. Uh, I have Ooh. obviously not watched the Hobbit trilogy. <laughs> and straight, then, straight bad. But Lovely Bones is bad. I did like King Kong a lot. I love the original King Kong, and that one paid a very good homage to the original King Kong. So I, Evan could Evan would be here for monster movies all day. Oh fuck yeah! Uh, oh, I we could. I'm a Godzilla <laughs> I mean, stand, dude. If if you have time, we can we can oh, see, we'll, we'll we can do record a whole other episode. Of yeah, that. we'll no. have to do another episode on monster movies. Oh and, my god, talk. let's do it. I because see, I'm not as big on those. I actually couldn't get through Gareth Edwards Godzilla, but um, that's unfortunate. That movie's wonderful. It was fine, uh, but not fine enough to finish. Um, but uh, okay, so hold on. There is actually something I wanted to <laughs> circle back with uh, on this Lord of the Rings discussion because um, you we were talking about Gandalf's return. And it is kind of telegraphed in, in Two Towers. Um, and the other thing, too, is if you are a Lord of the Rings stan, if you will, um, particularly if you've read any part of the Silmarillion, um, you have a much better concept and understanding of the lore and why Gandalf came back in the first place. Which is all context that I'm completely without when I first see Lord of the Rings, or even during my multiple rewatches. To me, these were just really fucking good movies. And I think that context is really important because there's such a fine line that Jackson has to walk and, and really that entire creative team during the first round of these movies. Uh, there's a really fine line they have to walk because there's just stuff that isn't going to make it into the final cut but would have provided some additional context. I don't know that it would have made it for a better film, though, if mm -hmm. we know the context of, of why Gandalf comes back, which I will circle back to after I, I want to hear from you. But I, I have one last thing to add to this. <laughs> you know, it, it's so funny, too, because there there's a dedicated camp nowadays who really they I don't want to say they find ire or that they have ire with with Jackson's interpretation. But they they acknowledge that there's a flattening of the characters um, just because Tolkien's writing is so rich. Right. Um, and I. In some ways, I can understand why some people might might say that, uh, because some of these movies does come across as sword and sorcery, hack and slashy. Um, and let's be real for for our action lovers in the audience. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. um, but there are moments like Gandalf's sacrifice that are played for emotional heft and and gravitas, right? that if you're a, if you're a if you are dare i say the stan uh, in the audience you're just going to you you might f you might experience those feelings with frodo and and the the anguish but that's almost a flattening of the dramatic moment itself right because you very well understand that the the, the dramatic tension there is is not necessarily warranted and so to to approach this series this this trilogy specifically we don't have to get into any other I just want to I want to put a, a moratorium right now on, on Hobbit talk. on the Hobbit talk <laughs> this is yeah. about Lord of the Rings this is right. about good movies yeah um but but to approach it from you know my dad made us <laughs> and this is uh, my my dad made us read the books before seeing these these films, uh, which is I, I think 
is effective and, and impactful because you really do get to visualize a lot of these moments. But uh, I don't necessarily want to say it, it cheapens some of the more traditional filmmaking techniques that Jackson uses. But you do need to acknowledge that he is using filmmaking techniques in order to tell a story that uh, sometimes is for for the for the purposes of, of film is is more dense than it needs to be or mm-hmm. it's it's more dense uh it, it's denser than what makes for good storytelling well also i've from what i've read a lot of people have said that they thought lord of the rings was unadaptable properly unadaptable and this is probably the best case scenario that they they could get i mean i will i will just to take a swing at that i think that's probably true yeah i I'm not going to say it can't be done in a different way or done again. There are things, and I feel like I can, I can, I can feel Evans ready to jump out of his seat here. Uh, there are things that were not included that did really make some fans upset. One of the big ones being Tom Bombadil, not included <laughs> in Fellowship of the Ring. Um, You're you missing out. You don't know who Tom Bombadil is, Ryan. Uh, he's an interesting sprite. Is that what we're going to go with? Wait, 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 wait. wait. There's a sprite character in Lord of the Rings called Tom. Yeah. His name's Tom. Tom Bombadil. And he's a sprite, like a little fairy. Um, Oh, no. (laughs) I don't know. I've never read this. I would describe him as sprightly, but he's so powerful that he can wear the ring and it has zero impact on him. Well, think about where you really got to put that in the story in the context of movies. I know. And trying to make it. That's why I, I think it's fine. That he's not in there, and that's why I say, as far as best-case scenarios go, I'm actually agreeing with you. Probably was the best-case scenario for three compact films that take up about nine to ten hours of your life, theatrically speaking. Because I don't know that it's fair to judge based on the extended editions if we're talking about specifically what they had to go with in theaters. Okay. I I think it was probably the best-case scenario. I, I, I think... There was a lot they had to leave on the cutting room floor and stuff that never even made the cutting room floor at all. Uh, and Tom Bombadil was one of those things. I mean, to if you want to equate this to uh, other films that sort of wash over you in terms of uh, presenting aesthetic and visuals, but give you the, the chance to explore ideas, uh, something along the lines of perhaps uh, Blade Runner or Blade... Blade Runner, <laughs> uh, 2049. Uh, great films, Alex, by the way. Um, yeah, really. I, I, I have very strong feelings about the first one. Really? For those yeah. who have listened to this podcast, they would know <laughs> that. Very strong opinions about the first one. I don't, okay. I don't have much to say about the second one. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I would be. I'd be curious to, to know why. Uh, so I, I would put some thought into that, Alex. Uh, but uh, again, uh, a character like Tom Bombadil, uh, if you introduce him, is maybe an aesthetic uh, or, or thought uh, thought provoking point because there's a lot of lore behind him that that makes that that throws into question some of the things that are going on in in Tolkien's world. Uh, but I, I don't really want to lean into that too hard. What I do want to say, Alex, is that Tolkien himself believed that this story could be adapted. He did, and was was kind of uh, very open to the idea of an animated film doing so, and and said himself that he believed that for the purposes of a of a nicely told story that details could have been cut out. 
you know, unfortunately, we're too far removed from having any commentary of his own uh, to to be contributed to this this discussion. But uh, I, I mean, he left he left plenty though. Uh, Tolkien was commenting on his work up until essentially the day he died, and his sons continued his work to his, or his son uh, continued his work to an extent, for better or worse. Yeah, well. I, I listen. I've never read, nor do I intend on ever reading the Silmarillion. But um, that that has been, you know, there are a lot of tales in there. Um, but my point was more just that there is a shocking amount of, as you kind of alluded to, commentary from Tolkien on his work. So there is. It wasn't like Peter Jackson was going into this blind. It's not like he was trying to adapt an Edgar Allan Poe piece. Or, or even going back further into the 19th century. Which is why it's so funny that there would be so much bloat in something like the, the Hobbit films. And listen, I know, I know, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't want to cross that line. But when I, when I say bloat, I don't mean, because Tolkien's universe is extremely dense and rich. The things that, are chosen to be focused upon in that trilogy are some of the most in like inane depictions of, of these characters and concepts and ideas that they could have possibly gone for to the point where it, it, it feels, it feels Muppet esque to, to, to go back to like, you know, return of the Jedi, right. Which sometimes feels a little bit too kiddy for its, its own good. And I I don't know. That's, it's just, it's surprising to see someone and listen the production history of the hobbit is a storied one as well and is well worth talking about in a in a podcast episode of its own it's a good thing we're talking about the good trilogy right now instead <laughs> the one thing i i wanted to add to bring this all uh back home so we were talking about the context of gandalf's return and the fact that as you alluded to again this was sort of telegraphed that gandalf was coming back and it was a trope that again, if not certainly not invented by Tolkien, but was repopularized by by Lord of the Rings. Uh, there's an interesting sort of comparison to be made on a different side of the spectrum. I can't believe I'm about to say this. The rise of Skywalker brings back a character without a single lick of context. And for reasons that need not be discussed on this podcast, it does not work. Does not work. At all. Similar fantasy trope. There's plenty there to suggest these guys can come back. We're dealing in elements of magic. And yet, for some reason, it doesn't work. We don't need to get into why. But it it popped into my head that here is an example of... A similar concept where there's no context provided within the film structure for why this character has returned, but it absolutely falls flat comparatively to Gandalf. That does not fall flat at all. I I don't know. I think that's that's a tenuous connection. Uh, it, there are several characters you could be referring to in the Rise of Skywalker. So your your lack of explicitness. Makes me Palpatine. go in. <laughs> Palpatine. We're talking about yeah, Palpatine. Yeah, but you've also got Luke, who adds nothing 
either. You also, I mean, you could argue Han adds something, but at the same time, that's also just such a blah, blah narrative. You you could have, uh, you could have Ben come to that that recovered. Uh, sort of status in so many other ways that you wouldn't need a, a Han Solo cameo for. I, I don't know. It, it's just Tolkien wrote a better story. What? <laughs> right. But so I'm talking about from a film perspective, though, again, there's virtually no context provided for Gandalf's return in the structure of the film, but his return is still so much more organic. Uh, yeah. And I, Yes, it it's but it's telegraphed too. You mm-hmm. you you got to remember the beginning of the two towers starts with the the Balrog versus Gandalf sequence that Frodo is is dreaming about, right? There mm-hmm. there's there's a language of cinema that is reintroducing this character to our our minds which gets that that emotional payoff uh not just in terms of that that movies uh arc but you you get the emotional payoff of that character returning i, I don't know it's it uh, com- <laughs> com- comparing this this trilogy to anything that's come out of uh disney in the past five to ten years uh, i think you're playing on you're you're on completely different playing yeah because we're, so, we're not comparing we're contrasting which well, is sort of sort of the point here to be made again same trope abused Right, same trope is abused. I know I'm is a gross oversimplification, but the same trope gets abused over and over again. But it works in one; it doesn't work in the other. And I don't think that there is a uh, it's a surprise why it works in Lord of the Rings. I don't think that it's. And again, you you point out there's a little bit more bridge or or structure or infrastructure provided for Gandalf's return in Two Towers, but I, I would still argue and am in fact arguing that the overall level of that structure is particularly limited. And again, I always try, I know that you, it's going to be impossible to detach yourself or at least difficult to detach yourself from what you knew contextually going in. But the only reason that I knew Gandalf came back was because I had seen Return of the King. So when he allegedly dies in Fellowship of the Ring, I know he's coming back. But if I'm going in and sitting and seeing that cold, having being just your typical moviegoer who has really no frame of reference for Lord of the Rings. I don't have much frame of reference for Gandalf coming back other than maybe Merlin. You know what my frame of reference was? The trailer for The Two Towers. He came back in the trailer, and I'm like, oh, so he's not, like, totally dead. I don't know. <laughs> Alex, uh, what I would say to you is what I'd say to uh, any huge critic of uh modern films it's a movie just turn your brain off and enjoy it <laughs> seriously Come on. it is just escapism that's all it is what hey. are we doing what are we doing here if we're not like what are we doing here we now, like to like bitch having, about it we're what are, a, what, we're, what are we doing are, what are, are we, we we're just, are we saying it's like, it's like movie poop shoot from uh jay and silent bob strike back uh, it's a, like the website where people just go and bitch about movies movie poop shoot <laughs> That's what we're doing. Anyway, okay. 
I mean, are are we saying that nothing has been learned from uh, <laughs> from this retelling of Tolkien's uh, you know fantasy classic in in all these years of of high fantasy storytelling or for fantasy storytelling? Uh, I think you could. That's make pretty that bleak. <laughs> I think you could make that argument. I mean, okay. So here's what I'll say: if the biggest lesson taken from that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, let's let's actually look at this for a second. If, or even the Nolan Batman verse. If you argue that either of those two things took any lesson from Lord of the Rings, you can make that argument, probably more so for Nolan, maybe. That's a stretch. But with the MCU, it took them 19 tries to do what Lord of the Rings is more capable of doing in three tries. Do you get what I'm saying? Well, really, really, like, though. To, to build up the level of investment in certain characters it took much more effort or took much more of our time with these characters in the marvel cinematic universe with lord of the rings i think they do a much better job of building our investment almost right right away well also don't forget that they filmed all of the movies at once they filmed principal photography december 2000 was what i was reading so like you know, even though they had reshoots and all that shit and they had a plan, they were greenlit and funded for three movies. I don't think that had ever happened before. I I mean, I think with your MCU films, you have a literal end game, right? But the path to get to that point is so much more winding that you don't really know what characters you're going to be able to spend time with and develop. Right. Uh, which you know, then really calls into question and, and, you know, gosh, again, you think of the, the casting of this trilogy and how strong a, of a cast it is. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think the people who were involved needed to have some sort of reverence and, and understanding of these characters that, that allowed them to think past uh, the monetary gain of each individual installment. Funny you should mention that. I was just kind of looking up some trivia and stuff, and I think probably the best example of what you're saying is Christopher Lee, who apparently read The Lord of the Rings once a year until his death in 2015, and he'd done so every year since it was published. Yeah, if my memory of this, if my memory of the legend is correct, Tolkien wanted him to be Gandalf. Yeah, and he's the only one of the cast and crew that actually met J.R.R. Tolkien, yeah. so... Yeah. yeah. Bastily. <laughs> Christopher Lee's the shit. He's great. What was the uh what was the movie I said that we have to watch with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing? Uh there's a there's a mummy with them. Well there's the there's a there is a yeah, there is it's a the re- hammer yeah. horror films. Yeah. He did Dracula yeah. and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, too. I'm gonna have to see it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna have to see it. It's good stuff. Smoke rises from the Mountain of Doom. The hour grows late, and Gandalf the Grey rides to Isengard, seeking my counsel. For that is why you have come, is it not? My old friend. Viggo Mortensen, it was fortuitous Mm -hmm. that he wound up in that role. Who was originally cast? Stuart Townsend. Stuart Townsend. And what happened to that guy? I don't know. No one has answered. Everybody's silent on Stuart Townsend. What the fuck was he in? Queen of the Damned with Aaliyah? I think he was with Aaliyah. I think you're right. So wait. <laughs> wait. Whoa. Wait. 
Stuart Townsend isn't also the guy who didn't wind up being Wolverine. No, no, no. That's Dougray Scott. Right. All right. Yeah, Dougray Scott turned down Wolverine. He left the set or whatever to go do Mission Impossible 2. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, point being, though, is that uh, serendipity getting Vigo into this role Mm -hmm. because they they thought, my understanding, Stuart Townsend looked too young for the part. After all, Vigo is playing an 87-year-old. In in the Tolkienverse yeah. here. Like Bilbo Baggins is 100, what, 10 or 11? 111, but he was aided by the ring. He was aided was, by the ring. The ring granted a, him long life. Well, still. That, that was a lot of work, Alex. That was a lot of work. Anyway. <laughs> For that joke. <laughs> a real long walk to get to that joke. I'm yep. sorry. That, that was an unexpected journey. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else. There's far too many dwarves in my dining room as it is. All right, rapid fire. Hey, I wanted to know. Uh, this is probably an easy question. We'll start with a, with a softball then, I guess. Um, your favorite fight sequence, battle sequence in the entire trilogy? Uh, I'll just say it's Helm's Deep for me. That's one of the best ever f- put to film. Yeah, I mean, I can't really. I, I don't know. I, I would go so far as to say Boromir's death. I, I love. I think has the, the the high stakes. I think you've got Yurikai there for the first time. You really get a sense of of gravitas and, and threat from that too. That that's that would be my pick actually. Mm-hmm. That's a, Alex. an awesome sequence. Uh, but I got to go with Pelennor Fields. Okay. Uh, I think there's a little bit of bias towards King Theoden's speech before they charge mm-hmm. is amazing. Right now! Right! Right to ruin! And the world has dead! Fun fact, many of the uh, Rohirrim actually played by women, because uh, in New Zealand, more prominently, uh, horses are ridden by uh, women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. when... When he uh, when he says, you know, archers don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes, it was really powerful. <laughs> I have a um, a, a hard question for you guys. If you were in a battle, would you save Marion Pippin or Legolas in Gimli? Marion Pippin. This is not even a question. In a battle, Marion Pippin. Not even a question. Wait, Evan. Would would you save? Yeah, if you're in a battle with them and they were both, they were all of them in danger, and you only had time to save like two of them, what would it be? Uh, I, I feel like I would save Merry and Pippin just because okay. they don't know how to take care of themselves. Yeah, Gimli, They're like children. Gimli and Legolas will be fine. You know what I I found really funny when I was rewatching Fellowship of the Ring and they're what's the mountain the thing they're walking into and they're in the snow and Sean Bean's carrying one of them like a child because they're little people. Oh, and, yeah. But Which it's really is funny because you know he's playing the youngest character in that Fellowship, right? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> There's a lot of shit I don't know. Um, I think Boromir is supposed to be like forty-ish, and the hobbits are in their fifties. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Who do you think are the biggest revelations as far as actors or actresses? Or, or I should reword this. What actor, actress had the best career post Lord of the Rings? Well, the, you know, to be fair, I don't really know Mortensen's career prior to. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to yeah, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's a good point. 
I know that he was a lot of it after like Hidalgo and because he's also that's another guy who like he's like a master horse rider apparently but um, and a history of violence and a couple of other things but Uh, Eastern Promises which I love yeah Uh, yeah yeah yeah. um, and of course his magnum opus Green Book right (laughs) I mean he was up for an Oscar for it I don't know what that means but you know he was it was it was probably a better performance than several that year maybe no, i'd have to go back i'd have to go back so so okay do we do so what do you think on this uh more questions um hmm. he was uh, in like okay so vega mortensen prior to lord of the rings he was in gi jane which i do remember um with demi the, moore yeah the, he wow. was in the remake he was one of the main leads the remake of psycho of psycho <laughs> with um Anne Haitian and uh the shot for Vince shot Vaughn. Yes. Gus Van Z- wow yeah um this is actually this is great trivia i have no idea uh yeah and then he was in crimson tide apparently he was in the prophecy i don't know uh, a guy named uh. Weps. i don't know um i do remember he has a very small role in um oh what was that movie uh, he had a very small role in witness he was one of the amish guys okay. it's just that's a fun little bit of trivia that's from the mid 80s you know, but you after know that, I, after Lord of the Rings, it absolutely blew up. You know, Hidalgo, yeah. history of violence, and so, so all back that stuff. to the the question. So, we're, are we are we doing like who was the biggest revelation to us, or are we doing who we thought had to, the to the okay? So, the biggest revelation, in your opinion, to you know the film industry, the okay. movie industry, right. as far as an actor or actress, as far as a performance, and and set them up, and then who had the best career afterwards? Okay, fine, sure. Evan, you want to take this one first, or should I? Well, you know, I think that there's something to be said. Maybe for the lad, maybe for the, I don't know, former or latter question. I'm not entirely sure, but I think there's something to be said for Orlando Bloom, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he he has a lucrative career after this, mm-hmm. uh, sadly comes back for another famed trilogy. Well, yeah, uh, I should say he, he, he's in he's in two famed trilogies after mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, he he gets he gets the paychecks certainly, but I mean, I don't know. I I, I Mortensen comes to comes to mind for mm-hmm. me in terms of of having a successful career after this and being able to choose the roles that he wants to play and a varying is, is a degree big, of them. And, yeah, and his uh, his choices just run the gamut. He's played every type of character you could play, I guess, except for uh, you know making a weird cameo in a Marvel movie. Other than that, you know, he's done pretty much everything. Yeah, and uh, just just in terms of of the the kind of authority that he commands as an mm-hmm. actor, where he really does get to play the things that he wants to play, and also refuses to play the things that he wants to play. Mm-hmm. Going back <laughs> to mm-hmm. another trilogy, we may or may not have referenced. Sure. Uh, that that's what I <laughs> go with. What What do you think, Alex? So I think the biggest revelation was Sean Astin that he could actually act. Um, yeah, you ever saw Rudy? Yeah. He wasn't that good in Rudy. Rudy is like Rudy is carried by the sap and and the, okay. the ethos, right? Or the pathos, not the ethos. That's what carries Rudy. Like it's it's fine, and it's, yeah. it's an enjoyable film experience. But like no one's like, oh man, that Sean Astin Academy Award performance here for Rudy. Fair enough. His his uh, performance in in the Lord of the Rings is really good. It, it is very very good. It, it's great, I agree. But like, uh, but he was still known fif- before this. 
50 first dates too he's not really he's not p- pulling in the, uh, the the star roles or anything like that yeah well we'll I get mean, into the well, post so that's why i said like i think he's a revelation sure. as far sure. as his talent yes yeah that he yeah. could act yeah um I get that. as far get as that. who had the best career after i mean i don't think it's relevant because it i don't it, think, I think it, it would have like Ian McKellen and Kate right. Blanchett had brilliant careers <laughs> I, I after was Lord say. of the Rings, but I don't. And think, before Lord of the Rings, right, I don't think those movies did that. Well, Kate Blanchett was still she was an Academy Award nominee before that even happened. She, she was in Elizabeth, yeah, and she was oh in a bunch God, of shit right, before these movies came out. Okay, so uh, yeah, they're probably the three that come to mind. I don't know that anybody <laughs> other than Vigo is like such a big revelation. I got one. I got one. It's Andy Serkis. I was actually going to say, oh, Christopher Lee is. No, Christopher Lee is. To. No, no, no. He, Christopher Lee. Well, because, you know, he parlayed that into his role as Count Dooku. In, yeah, in but. The two... I am completely, <laughs> totally fucking with this. Okay. Is 100% a bit. Like, don't fuck no, with No, no, no. But, but, no, to go back, to go to your point, Serkis, for sure. I oh, yeah. Think. yeah. That's, I had no that's one I didn't even. Yeah. 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 I had no clue who Andy Serkis was. And then I see Gollum. And I'm like. Must have the they stole it from us. Sneaky little orbitsies. Wicked, twitzy, fierce. What? And they're like, oh no, he did the voice and he was there on set with them and he, they lobbied for him to get an Academy Award nomination. So it's actually a great, it's a great point because arguably not just the performance itself, but the concept of how our performance could uh-huh. occur, he completely changed with this yeah, for motion sure. capture yes. and, and it's unbelievable actually uh-huh. how much of an impact he had on the industry. And he and he did the motion capture for King Kong. Yeah. And then right. he went on to do obviously like the the Planet of the Apes movies. And you know, also just as an actor, just kind of popping up in things. And as a director too now. Mm-hmm. You know, I really right, enjoy yeah. Andy Circus for everything that he's he's done. That's you know, a re- I've never that's seen a thing that he's done that I'm like, meh. Like everything he's done has been pretty decent, at least. You know what wasn't really good? What? Okay, this is the last time I'm going to do this. Motherfucker. Andy Circus in uh, as Gollum in uh, uh, an unexpected journey was, um, I don't know, phoning I, it I, in. I haven't read. It, listen, I don't think he was the problem with that sequence, but it felt pretty forced. Uh, it's uh, well, in terms of faithfulness, it's close to the text, and also I would say it's a high point in that film. Sadly. That is really sad that that is a high point in that. But I was going to ask you that because I've actually I have not read The Hobbit. But yeah, but then Despite we get it's, it's nice. And, but we've got a nice uh, we've got, he's got a nice career, you know, and he's a character actor. He's he's a different type of character in every single movie he does, you know, from Ulysses Claw to to Caesar to, you know, you know, he actually directed the new Venom movie this yeah, year. Well, he, and again, he's also one of the few actors who you're, you're, you're going to make the argument that yeah. he he's able to do something that we've actually seen fail pretty recently where he does not need to actually speak Mm-mm. to have a powerhouse performance. Mm-hmm. And he's, um, Oh, and he's Alfred in the new Batman with Robert Pattinson. Yeah, that's, and he's going to be like Cockney yes. in it, which is like really, really, really English. Anywho. Yeah. No, I thought that was fun. No, that was, that was a good, that's actually, that's a great like through line to get to that point. Mm-hmm. So fuck, Mary kill the fellowship. Let's hear it. I did write that down. <laughs> Could it just be Vigo? Uh, all of them? <laughs> I think oh, I, I think you kill Vigo. Come on now. Kill kidding. kill Legolas. Yeah. But that's more that's more because Absolutely. of that's more because of the actor associated with the character. Um 
I would probably f- fuck Aragorn, but I would marry Gimli, for sure. Certainty of death, small chance of success. What are we waiting for? Oh, come on, we can take him. I cannot jump the distance and have to touch me. Well, here's one dwarf she won't ensnare so easily. I have the eyes of a hawk and the ears of a fox. It's true you don't see many dwarf women. And in fact, they are so alike in voice and appearance <laughs> that they're often mistaken for dwarf men. He was already dead. He was twitching. He was twitching? Because he's got my axe embedded in his nervous system! Hey everyone, Ryan here. To avoid this episode becoming as long as one of the Lord of the Rings extended cuts, we're going to split this one into two parts. You can find the new episode sometime very early in the new year. Thanks for listening.